when we're looking at this test, whenever you see a normative claim in the conclusion, you know that you're gonna have to see a normative claim in the premises. And so what you're looking for is an answer choice that is gonna have the word should. Hi everyone, welcome to the 7th Stage Elsa podcast. My name is Henry Ewing and I'm joined with my co-host. Austin Huh. Today we've got a fun little episode planned to help you guys out with LR, which has now become the most popular and important section on the test going forward. Mm-hmm. I hope you guys enjoyed our latest episode with JY. If you haven't listened to that already, I'd recommend it. I think it's a good one. Talking about an upcoming change happening on the LSAT in August of 24. So to that point, we wanted to have an episode talking about a pretty general concept on, on LR that I think will be helpful as you guys continue to practice it. Yeah. Uh, normative claims, Asta. Have you heard of them? I have heard of them. You love talking about them. I personally have never taught them, uh, but I would love to learn what they mean to you. Right. So a normative claim is a value judgment. Right, it's it's a value judgment about what ought to be. Right, when you when we say the word ought, we're talking about preferences or what we value. I ought to work out. Right, it means like you know I value this idea of working out, or you ought to get eight hours of sleep. Right? It means that we value this idea of getting eight hours of sleep, and so that's what a normative claim is. Right, normative claims are are value judgments. Another type of claim is a descriptive claim. Right? A okay. descriptive claim is a claim about how the world is, right? Or it's a description of fact. I like to think of them as facts, right? And how I describe them when I'm, I'm tutoring is that normative claims are values and descriptive claims are facts, right? So a descriptive claim is something like water is wet, right? Or, or there, are, there is an ocean called the Atlantic Ocean. Right, that's not exactly a value judgment. Right? It's not really up it just for uh, is up for what debate, it is. Right? Yeah, it just, it's a fact exactly. And so the idea uh, of descriptive and normative claims is you can divide these claims out into either value judgments or facts. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, you know that the L side is just a, a test of a set of claims. Um, why might that be useful though? Why is it going to be useful for us to uh, describe? claims in terms of uh, value judgments and facts and the reason why is that a value judgment can never arise from pure fact okay so you can't get a normative claim from a descriptive claim is that what you're telling me yes that's exactly what i'm telling you right there is no such thing at least on this lsat or the lsat on the lsat they're going to assume that you can't get a normative claim from a descriptive claim um Mm -hmm. and we're going based on, you know, the LSAT's philosophy here. So why is that going to be useful for you? Well, you know that this test is a, a, a set of arguments. And like, a what is an argument? Yeah, yeah. What, what is an argument if not just a set of claims that produce another claim, right? So if I say something like all dogs are cute, all cute things deserve to be snuggled, those two claims combine together to produce something, which is what? The conclusion. Okay. Oh, fair, which is that enough. all dogs yeah, all dogs enough. deserve to be snuggled. My right, bad. yeah. All dogs deserve to be snuggled or, or you know, uh, all dogs get snuggled, right? You marrying those two claims together to make an inference, right? Inferences are just uh, uh, statements that are, that are the result of two separate claims that you put together. Mm. But what we just did there is we, we married two descriptive claims to produce another descriptive claim. So we said all dogs are cute. 
cute things get snuggled, right? So all dogs get snuggled. Well, that's us marrying descriptive claims together. All dogs are cute. That's a statement of fact, right? Yeah. Cute things get snuggled. That's another statement of fact, right? Now, of course, you might argue that it's like, well, that's not a fact in real life. But on this test, that would be a statement of fact. It's not like a value judgment there. Yeah, and, but you and, accept. That's what we mean when we say accept the premise as as fact, right? Don't try to deny the premise. That is truth. That's what exists in this world. That's what we mean. The premise is yeah. the descriptive claim. Right. There. So that is a, 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 like a descriptive claim. Now, the interesting thing is, though, is that those premises themselves married together to produce another descriptive claim. Right. Mm. In, in other words, that all dogs get snuggled. So on this test, what they're going to try to get you to do is to sneak in or get you to assume that a value judgment or a normative claim can be inferred from prescriptive claims, mm. right? And, and this is going to be a very common issue that people run into on this test. Uh, and, and to illustrate this point, uh, I'm, we'll run through an example, and maybe we can go with stealing, right? So sure. I, I say, Asta, right? I want you to convince me that I should not steal. Right? How okay. would you convince me? What's, what's some evidence right, or premises that you would give me to convince me that I should not steal? Well, you shouldn't steal someone because steal something because it would hurt the person you're stealing from. Okay, right. So what Asa's just given me is a piece of evidence here, right? Or a premise. Premise: stealing is, is hurting the person you're stealing from. Conclusion: you should not steal, right? Mm. So the first premise there is a descriptive claim, right? That's a statement of fact, right? Stealing is hurting another person, and then the conclusion is a normative claim: you should not steal. And now this is not a valid argument, though, because what am I going to respond to Asa? Let's pretend I'm a kleptomaniac or I really want to steal. What I would say to Asa here is, well, okay, well, why should I not hurt someone? Right? Why should I not? Why should I? So I agree. Stealing is hurting another person. But why shouldn't I hurt someone? Because it's bad. Do you have a reason? Because it's bad. Okay. You see, because it's bad. Right? So and and what we're doing there and what Asa is responding is saying, because it's bad. But the idea is that when you say something is bad, that itself is a normative claim, mm -hmm. right? What is bad, right? Bad is just another term for something you should not do. And so when we're looking at this test and we're thinking in terms of normative claims and descriptive claims, whenever you see a normative claim in the conclusion, you know that you're gonna have to see a normative claim in the premises. And this is a very common, you can play the why game when you're a, when you're a child, right? You have a child that they ask you like, oh, like, uh, you know, why shouldn't I, uh, you know, why shouldn't I make fun of Jeremy? It's like, oh, because it's mean. Well, why shouldn't I do something that's mean? Uh, because being mean hurts another person's feelings. Why shouldn't I hurt another person's feelings? Because it makes them upset. Well, why shouldn't I make someone upset? Right? Eventually you're going to have to play that game forever. Like, Child, stop. <laughs> right? It's because it's something you should not do. Right? Yeah. But it's true, right? This is why uh, why, right? You know, the why game, right? This is why on this test, it's very, um, it's, it, it's, it's easy to start conflating these two things. And so what's important for you is to start recognizing the distinction between normative claims and descriptive claims, right? It's something mm -hmm. that takes a little bit of work at first. However, it's going to be very useful on this test moving forward. And the reason why is it's a very subtle, yet uh, it's subtle. It's like a subtle trick or a subtle gap that they're gonna try to employ, uh, uh, like uh, employ, what's the word, employ? It's not employ. Employ, pull, yeah. Pull on you? Employ. Spring on you, spring, spring on you. Spring right? on it's you. A subtle, it's like a subtle trap that they're gonna try to spring on you. Um, uh, and, and if you're not aware of this distinction that like, you know, shoulds can never arise from, or, or normative claims can never arise from 
from descriptions of fact, it's going to be very hard for you to pick up the problem in the argument. And so yeah. a couple uh, references to normative claims here is this idea about, you know, what you should do is a normative claim. How you ought to behave is a normative claim. What is bad is a normative claim. Because those all come down to, like, I'd say like matters of opinion, but they're, they're value judgments, right? They're, yeah, they're, absolutely. Yeah. And I, I do want to connect the stealing example that we were just talking about to something that I think legitimately would show up on the test. It's probably a sufficient assumption question, right? Mm-hmm. So if you have the argument, if you steal things, then you're going to hurt the person that you're stealing from. Therefore, you should not steal. If you want to make that a valid argument, what you need to throw into the argument, the sufficient assumption that you could make there uh, that would make it valid would be a normative claim, which is that you should not do things that hurt other people. Right. right? If you have those two premises put together, that stealing hurts the person you're stealing from and you should not do things that hurt other people, therefore you should not steal, perfect. Right? Done. Yeah. And there are so many sufficient assumption questions that I think a lot of people will just conflate like should and, and doing and see the normative claim as a descriptive claim instead and then get really tripped up because all the answer choices start to look pretty much the same, even though what you're really looking for is that normative claim that you need to add in there. So right. I just wanted to connect that back to a type of sufficient assumption question that we see all the time on this test. Yeah, right. And, and what's very important in the way – you can reduce this down. The fact that you, you know what a normative claim is and a descriptive claim is, like it's good to know the underlying philosophy, but it's not something that anyone thinks about when they're actually taking the test. Or maybe they mm-hmm. do, but, but it, you it, do. It's, maybe it's inefficient, right? <laughs> yeah, right. I might. I don't take the test anymore, though. I might think about it when I'm looking at a problem. But uh, a useful tool you can say is, like, when I see a should in the conclusion – Mm. I need to see a should in the premises, mm-hmm. right? It's like, like, oh, if I ride the bus, I'm going to make it to school on time. Conclusion, so I should ride the bus, right? And so I see a should in the conclusion, oh, I should ride the bus. But what I'm missing in the premises is, is that should. I should get to school on time. Right, exactly, yeah. right? And so what you're looking for in that example there is, is, a, is an answer choice that is going to have the word should. And what's really nice about this is – as you start getting a little bit more familiar with the distinction between normative claims and, and, and non-normative claims, and really on this test, it, it's almost always going to be presented as a should, you mm-hmm. can eliminate a ton of answer choices right off the bat, right? In any uh, like normative claim premise to conclusion gap where they're lacking the, the, the normative statement, what you should do in the premises, a lot of the answer choices in that question are not going to have anything about should, right? They're mm-hmm. going to be purely descriptive, purely matters of fact. Because of that, you might be able to eliminate three answer choices right off the bat just because they fail to include the word should or fail to have uh, fail to have some sort of like normative element to them. Same and thing so, with like parallel reasoning and parallel flaw questions as well. Yes, 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 exactly. Right. So like in, in parallel questions too. Um, well, I think in parallel flaw, it's going to be a little bit more beneficial, right? Because when you're looking at a parallel flaw question mm-hmm. and you're having trouble seeing like, oh, is this a flaw, right? In a parallel flaw question, you definitely want to see the flaw up front. It's pretty important to do that. Of course. Uh, uh, if, you, if you don't see a flaw, but you see, oh, wait, wait a minute, it's conclusions like making a recommendation, right? how I ought to behave. Well, if that's the case, well, maybe they're missing that normative claim in the premises, right? And, and effectively, what that reduces down to is just a, a premise to conclusion gap. You, you need a premise about how you should behave or what you should do. Um, th- it's true on PSAR questions, too, pseudo-sufficient assumption. Can you tell us Final a little bit more goal. about what that, that question type is and what that yeah, means? Yeah, so that question type, it, like – how you can think about that is essentially it's a prem it's a sufficient assumption with a premise to conclusion gap we call them pseudo sufficient assumption questions because they don't always have to bring the argument all the way up to validity but it's kind mm-hmm. of it's like a distinction where 
in practice, you can basically treat these as, as sufficient assumption questions, right? So that's why we call it pseudo-sufficient assumption questions. Um, and in a PSAR question, almost every single one describes a set of facts and then gives a recommendation based on those facts. And mm -hmm. what you need to do is find the rule that is going to give you the recommendation or deliver you the outcome, the conclusion, based on the facts, right? And if you look at this in terms of like a trigger and an outcome, right, the sufficient condition is a trigger, right? It's going to trigger based off the facts and deliver yeah. you a particular outcome. I always go like Taco Tuesday here, right? So like, oh, it's Tuesday, conclusion, I should eat tacos. Well, is that is that a valid argument? And the answer is no, right? I mean, it's no. Tuesday. Again, norm, uh, descriptive claim, right? Uh, I should eat tacos. Normative claim. Can't get a normative claim from a descriptive claim, so I need to find a rule that's going to deliver me to a particular outcome. And in that, in yeah. this case, like, what, what are you, well, it's a rule here that would work. I should follow the description of Taco Tuesday. I don't know. Okay. How about, how, how about if it's Tuesday, I should eat tacos. Ah, how about, that would how about that be one? a much yeah, yeah, better yeah, way that, of phrasing think, that. <laughs> right. And I mean, I mean now, like now what you're doing though, is you're recognizing and I liked what you did here, which is to say like whatever answers you pick has to have should. Yeah. Right. So like, how do I stick the word should into the name of taco Tuesday? Right. Yeah. Because let's imagine we, we dial up this question to a five star, not a five. This is maybe like closer to like a three star or a four star question. Where answer choice A says, tacos are best eaten on Tuesday. Right? Or oh. tacos taste the best on Tuesday. Well, Drama. that is a description of fact. Right? You might be like, oh, shouldn't I eat the best? Should you? Do I have a premise? Do I have a rule that tells me, like, I should eat the best thing? It's just like, no, maybe, maybe not. Not at all. Right? So the fact that it says, oh, tacos are the best on Tuesdays. Well, that's going to be meaningless to us because it doesn't mean we should eat the best thing. Right? And so as you start getting more efficient and, and, and quicker at recognizing and distinguishing between normative claims and, and descriptive claims, all of a sudden, a lot of these PSAR questions are going to start sounding a lot easier. And whenever mm. I see like a should in the conclusion of a sufficient assumption or a necessary assumption question, I just start jumping with joy. And the reason why- You start gets, jumping with okay. joy? No, I get really excited <laughs> though, because it's, it, I, I know that this question is probably- gonna be i don't want to say it's probably gonna be easy but it's gonna get it's gonna be easier if i can notice that i have a, a normative claim about how i ought to behave in the conclusion 90 percent of the time right 90 i don't know i'm, I'm making up numbers at this point right but a, a very large chunk of the time the the gap is merely going to be from premise to conclusion and i'm going to be lacking a should statement in the premises right that's going to be my issue and so it's a very useful tool uh to, to start looking through this lens of normatives. Because if you have trouble identifying the gap, I think it's a very like difficult gap for people to to recognize up front. Because people don't like it. In, this isn't something that someone's introduced to. Like I think a lot of us think we, we know this intuitively, but to actually put a word to it and to practice identifying it, I think is something that we've never had to do before, right? Like I didn't really understand, like I knew what normative and descriptive claims were and I was implementing it when I was doing LR, when I was studying for this task. But it wasn't until I started talking to you about the LSAT that I actually had a name to it. And I was like, oh, yeah. I actually, I know what this is now and I can identify it better. Yeah. And, and, and I think what, where people run into difficulties is, is like, you know, that on this test, it's so, you really want to do your best to avoid smuggling in assumptions, right? <laughs> like, 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 you know, it's true. Smuggling. Like you don't want to smuggle it. That's this entire, this entire test. Like earlier like, you were like sneaking in assumptions. Like, right. Oh my that's what it is, right? You don't want to smuggle in an, an assumption. And I think people pretty quickly intuitively get like oh i can't assume that all doctors are like you know gonna heal people 
right? Or, oh, or yeah. it, like, and so you, that's a that's a pretty quick assumption that you can uh, that you can separate yourself from, right? Or like that, you know, a physicist is always right, right? You might go in, but then you, you know you watch the core curriculum, you realize like, oh, are physicists all right? Maybe, maybe not. And then you, and then you start to to unpair yourself from that. But uh, you know, like like moral values are something that like we all hold like pretty dear, and those are a For lot sure. harder to unpair yourself. Right. This idea, it's like that a murder might not be wrong. Right. Or harming someone might not be wrong. That's really hard for us to unpair ourselves from that idea because it's just like something we grow up with. Uh, yeah. But the truth is, like, that is itself an assumption. Why is murder wrong? Uh, like Hume had a very famous statement. Right. Which is that it's it is not contrary to reason to prefer the destruction of the world to the scratching of my pinky. And, and what Hume is trying to say there is like there's nothing about reason that says mm -hmm. you should prefer the scratching of your pinky to the destruction of the world, right? Really, reason has no say in the matter, right? So ultimately, uh, it's like you couldn't conditional your way to saying, oh, yes, well, you know, what are the facts? Millions, <laughs> millions would die if I destroyed the world, and, and if I scratched my pinky, it would only hurt a little bit. Okay, <laughs> so what? Right? It's like, like you know, you'd say, like, so what? So, yeah. so why should I hurt my pinky then as opposed to, killing millions of people right i don't have like like, like there's no just to be clear the seventh sage elsa podcast does not condone that uh right but yeah absolutely uh it's one of those things that we always say don't bring background knowledge into this test don't bring your own assumptions into the test and i think that we all like to think that we leave background information and background knowledge at the door but we really don't you know like when it comes to values and these types of things we really really don't i see this a lot on questions that have to do with like patients like hospital patients or like how well doctors serve clients like what the effectiveness of a medicine is you know oh like a medicine might cure 90 percent of patients with this certain disease therefore medicine's really good we should use it all the time mm. should you cure people? should we who's to i don't know not uh, even uh, like should we see, cure people yeah. i mean we probably should right but also like does it well, do well, other why? bad things <laughs> right but okay. it's like it's like but like right but it's, it's like why Right. Why? Yeah. The fact that the medicine has a 90% success rate, that's a fact. The that doesn't mean we that we should it prescribe people. it forever. Yeah, yeah exactly. Absolutely. We shouldn't prescribe it, right? I, until I insert another premise here, right? Or I, I get another thing that's like, oh, we should do everything we can to heal people. Conclusion, mm -hmm. let's, uh, we should prescribe this medicine, right? It's yeah. only when we take that fact and in, in, in insert another normative claim or a value judgment do we can we produce this conclusion oh like i should give this medicine to other people yeah sorry exactly jump, no exactly i totally agree with you there. there um and and the other place that i see it a lot is with uh when it comes to money or like businesses or economic concepts and we have a whole episode on on a supply and demand a bunch of economic terms but where i see it is like oh like doing this thing will drive up profits by 50 percent, so we should do it you know like cutting back on this thing will help our our budget recover by 20 i'm just making up numbers here so we should do it right uh, and all of those things sound really good it sounds really good to cure 90 percent of patients it sounds really good to up revenue by 50 percent. that doesn't mean that we should or we ought to do anything at all right yeah exactly it, it it's only when we say that we should right you have to yeah. say that you should in order to, to really get that outcome what i would encourage all of you know our listeners to do if you're working on lr you're trying to improve on this Go pick out some PSAR, go pick out some sufficient assumption questions and just be on the lookout, you know, see if, if there are any normative descriptive claim issues that are happening and see if you can identify them. And I am willing to bet you that there are.
I am right. willing to bet you that you will find that. And, and your ability to identify them, I think, is going to make your time with some of these questions a lot easier. Right. So. I Like, one of the things, too, I, I know we advocate for, at least I advocate for, is that, you know, you can, you can stop LSAT studying, but it can be helpful to, I mean, you know, you want to have a balance, right? But let it bleed into a little bit in your life, right? So if, if, you, if this is something you're going to work on, when you're having a thought or you're out and about in the real world, starting to divide certain statements into normative claims versus descriptive claims. Right? Absolutely. Like, 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 oh, I'm going to go to this coffee shop. This latte is $11. I shouldn't buy it. Right? Well, it's like, like okay, wait, what's the fact there or the descriptive claim is that the latte is $11. The normative claim is that you shouldn't buy it, right? And so you can start dividing uh, like normative claims and descriptive claims out, and and, and that'll be helpful, right? It's it's gonna be Absolutely. helpful. To, to the LSAT never ends. It never does. And then even when you're done taking the test, and then you get a really high score, and then you come work for Seven Sage, and then you just keep thinking about it for years and years and years. It is helpful to know these things. Right. Yeah. Because awesome. you know, then you'll be a, a leg ahead, and you can describe it to the next generation of uh, of budding <laughs> Elsa, uh, bu- budding seven sagers, at least. Exactly. Awesome. So we got w- two quick announcements that we want to make before the end of today's episode. Number one, if you're not already listening to Seven Sages Admissions Podcast, how to get into law school, give it a listen. Right. If you're yeah. studying for the LSAT, then I'm assuming you're probably also applying to law school, and you can get a lot of really awesome advice from there. The second announcement that I wanted to make was about the pre-pro bono program. If you're interested or want to learn more about the program, you can go onto preprobono.org and learn all about it. Uh, essentially, if you're in the New York City area, if you are a junior or senior in college or you've already graduated or you're planning on taking the LSAT this upcoming fall, fall of 2024 and then attend law school in 2025, go check it out. There's a ton of opportunities, tons of LSAT prep, admissions prep, essay writing prep, a speaker series, lots of really amazing things. So, Go on to preprobono.org, see if you qualify, and best of luck. Yeah, it's a load of fun. Definitely, definitely apply. 